Hi, uh, welcome to the very first episode of Jane Ostentations, a podcast where uh, two friends watch and review every single Jane Austen adaptation ever filmed. I'm Sasha Sienna. I am a writer who is very, very into Jane Austen, and I'm here with my friend Jessica Law. Jess, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, hello, I'm Jessica Law, and I write about birds for a living, and I... Um, don't really know very much about Jane Austen at all. Um, I don't think I've ever read a Jane Austen novel, although I do have vague recollections of one where they just keep going to Bath and then back again and then to Bath, bath again, and it just it's <laughs> I, I just keep back and forth. Like, what's the point? That's uh, so wonderful. Maybe I, maybe I, <laughs> I might have got off on the wrong foot with Jane Austen, but maybe this will warm me to it once again. Um, however, I do know a little bit about historical costumes, and I also know a bit about history, so hopefully I'll be able to bring something to it of value once in my life. Well, what I uh, think that you will bring of value, Jess, is that, so for some background about the podcast, I have had a very slow lifetime goal of watching and reviewing every Jane Austen adaptation ever filmed and I have a blog janeaustentations.wordpress.com where I've been uh, writing up reviews and one time Jess you were staying with me for the weekend and I was saying oh I have to watch this film for my blog and you sat and watched with me and honestly watching that film with you was possibly the most fun thing that's ever happened to me. I have absolutely no memory of what I said or did at any point during that. Well, perfect, because now you can say it all again. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Uh, So I just thought that it would be really fun if I watched all my Jane Austen films with you and got to talk about them with you forever and ever in the future. Yeah, and the great thing is that they keep making new adaptations, so there's absolutely no way that this task could ever end. It's perfect, yeah, we will we will never be done. Yeah. Uh, there will be no rest for us. <laughs> it's Sisyphean. <laughs> and now you can join us um, yeah. by, by listening to us talk about it. Okay, so um, this episode we're watching Emma, which is the 1996 adaptation of the book Emma. And uh, it's starring Gwyneth Paltrow and Jeremy Northam and adapted and directed by Douglas McGrath. Um, If you haven't read Emma or seen a film, then uh, you should watch this one, maybe before you listen to this podcast. But uh, if you don't want to bother with that, that's fine. So this follows the story of Emma Woodhouse, a very handsome, clever and rich woman who is about 21 years old and she operates she lives in this village called Highbury where she is at the top of the social pecking order and she's very much uh, sees herself as a matchmaker so this is following her attempts her doomed attempts to matchmake among her friends and um, also her own romance um, although she doesn't notice that that part is happening for a very long time and I chose this film for the, the simple reason that this is the film that you and I watched together that I thought was so fun. Um, and also because it's a really good, just straight down the line adaptation. You know, they've not done anything particularly wild with it. It's not a modern adaptation. It's still pretty faithful to the book. Um, and it's also, I think it's a good film. But I, I don't mean to give spoilers for uh, when we score it later. 
Okay, I'll try to remain neutral. <laughs> no, that's the opposite of how to review something, Jess. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I'll, I'm sure I'll learn it as I go along. Please try to remain highly partial. Biased. Yeah, yeah please, okay. Please bring yeah. your biases to the table in this okay. one. So, I've now got all of the notes that I made um, from what I said and what you said when oh, we first dear. watched it. But I know that that was a little while ago, and I've definitely watched it more recently than that. Um, I watched it just this morning, in fact. Oh. So, Jess, when did you last watch this film? Um, I watched it on Friday. So what did you think of this film overall? Overall, I enjoyed it a great deal. I thought it was gently humorous. So uh, you could tell that they were sort of slightly laughing at themselves in a, a jaunty fashion and they weren't taking themselves too seriously. But it wasn't one of those sort of historical dramas where they've start saying okay and that sort of thing and, <laughs> you know that sort of travesty right um i really hope things go well when we watch some of the other ones if you don't <laughs> like that kind of thing um no they are mostly either very um very much this is an austin adaptation everybody and we're going to be talking in the regency style or they're like this is a modern adaptation kids get ready to have okay. some fun um, kids with a z kids with a z yeah. yeah. So I, I also really thought it was a fun film. Did you know that this film actually only has 6.6 .6 out of 10 on IMDb? Why? I thought it was really good. I don't know why. I actually think it's really good. I think it's a really fun, fun film. And like you said, like I think that you can tell that a lot of people in this film are having a really good time. Yes, definitely. The actors all seem like they're having a lot of fun. Well, I'd love to do it. I would love to do it too. What did you think of Emma in this film? The Gwyneth Paltrow main character. Yeah. Well, she was she was obviously very good, but I I have this thing about getting Amer because she is American, isn't she? Gwyneth Paltrow. Get yes, she is. Yes, I have this thing about why would you get an American to spend all that time learning the accent and and you know and the exact way of doing things when you could just get a good British actor? I I don't really understand the point of doing that because it's almost like part of the novelty is the fact that you've got an American actor doing this British accent and doing this British part and I don't really think that that should be a selling point like you know part of the appeal shouldn't be that they've got an American to sound British it just it's a bit do odd. Do you think that's part of the appeal? I don't know I think perhaps because I, I think a lot of Jane Austen adaptations have a big American audience. Yeah. Um, and there's no reason why they shouldn't. But I think that they, they often do cast American actors in this sort of thing because there's the American idea of like, oh, Britishness, oh, Britain's really amazing and cool. Whereas actually, like, there is poverty and there is inequality and we're all really uncouth yeah. <laughs> and we just go about swearing and, and you know, just like anyone else. Um, and we don't all live in mansions, even though we'd like to. Um, but that, that's beside the point. Uh, I thought she was very good at her um, at her role. I thought that occasionally um, she did overplay it a little bit. She did go a bit sort of puppy dog, sort of a bit Bridget Jones, if you know what I mean. Well, Bridget Jones is also an Austin hero, heroine. Ah, okay. But we'll, well get to that later. That... That's more spoilers. Yes, the... Yeah, I. Well, I, see... I need to find that out. Yes, <laughs> I see what you mean about. I often feel like if you're watching a Jane Austen adaptation and the lead 
actor actors don't have a great English accent. It's really frustrating. But I, I doesn't bother me at all when they're casting an American actor who who can do a competent English accent. And I think that Gwyneth Paltrow does. Yeah, I think she was good because this is very much a Hollywood adaptation. So uh, yeah. it's made by an American director, um, and it's starring obviously an American actress, and it was a, a Hollywood, a U.S. film. And I don't, I don't see why they shouldn't cast an American, especially because for me, Gwyneth Paltrow in 1996 is so much of what Emma is as a character, like in her her place in society is so similar. Okay. Like I think, uh, you know, a lot of people now don't like Gwyneth Paltrow, and I'll be honest, I'm one of the people who doesn't really like Gwyneth Paltrow now, but in 1996, like, watching this film, I feel like I can understand why she was such a big deal. You watch it and you're like, yeah, no, I totally get why she was so popular. This is a great and really charming portrayal. I think this is probably her best role. I did think she was very, very good. Um, there's one thing which I don't know whether this is the book or whether this is the portrayal of the character. Yeah. Um, so she just keeps meddling in everybody's lives. Yes, she does. She, like, not even in a subtle way at all, just in a really overt way, just meddling with everyone. And like, oh, well, if you want to choose a husband that is that beneath you, then then that's that shows the goodness of your heart. And, and also, the bit where she's really, really mean to poor old Miss Bates. And I don't know whether uh, that affected me because I know that that's who I'm going to become <laughs> um, when I'm older. But, you know, she was unreasonably mean and in no society, in no context, would anyone ever be that mean. Oh, um, I, yeah, I cannot agree with you there. <laughs> I, I don't think it's true at all that there's no context in which somebody would be that mean. People are that mean all the time. That's one of the great things about Jane Austen is that she's writing so long ago and in a society that is very different from our own on the surface of it in so many ways. But there's so much that's universal. Like we all know characters like hers. Like you say yourself, you feel like you're going to be Miss Bates when you hit 50 (laughs) or whatever it is. Yeah. And that's so universal. And I think that's really cool. And I, I love that she's so specific with her characters that they are instantly familiar and I think that Emma is yeah you're right she is very meddling and that very much is the point of the book as well um all right oh I so I was just gonna say then about her character it's probably good then that she starts out flawed and learns the error of her ways like that's sort of her character arc absolutely yeah I think that is her character arc I I have to say I love Emma as a character, I absolutely adore her. Part of the reason for that, I think, is that because when I read Emma, when I was about 14 or 15, I read it immediately after watching Clueless. Ah, is that a modern version? It isn't, yeah. So I came to it seeing Emma as Alicia Silverstone's Cher, who ah. is, I think, enormously likable. And I think there was also a lot of myself that I saw in Emma as well. And... I I adore her. But actually, when Jane Austen was writing Emma, she wrote a letter to her sister where she described the the lead character of her new book as a character that nobody but myself could like. Oh, I know. No, she's all she's not that bad. (laughs) I'm sure that Jane Austen will be so gratified to hear you say so. 
but I a lot of people relatable. don't like her. I think she's relatable as well. What bits of her do you relate to? Well, just the fact that she's flawed and she makes these mistakes and feels horribly guilty about it and and badly done, Emma, and all <laughs> stuff like that. And it it's like that, but that's all of us. But I just wasn't sure whether that was the, the portrayal or, or that was genuinely in the book. But if that's genuinely in the book, then... It's very much in the book. Yeah, it's very yeah. much in the book. The The whole focus of the book is very much on her meddling and um, the way that... <laughs> because Emma sees herself as a, an incredibly clever woman. She sees herself as the, the height of society and deservedly so. And I think that Clueless is a great title for Clueless because I think that there's this real element of the plot where the fact that she sees herself as so socially aware uh. is also what the problem is because if she'd just left well alone then none of this would ever have been a problem you know yeah she's not very good at painting though is she no I don't so this is an interesting point should we talk about the credits for a while oh god yeah so in this in this adaptation the credits are like there's like this globe spinning and you're you're zooming in on highbury which is the the village almost a town um where emma lives and where the the film and the book are set so emma lives in the estate of hartfield which isn't quite in the village but is basically in the village and so on the globe you see the estate you see the town slash village and you see all the people in these little miniatures they're just absolutely terrible. Yeah. It looks like a child's painted them and they don't look like any of the actors. They're really unflattering. And then for the rest of the film, everyone always says, oh, Emma, your painting prowess is unparalleled. It's just very hilarious. I love that. But do you think that that is something that they're saying to Emma because her painting ability actually is unparalleled? Or do you think that that's just something that they're saying to her to, to be nice and because everyone sees her as this, like... Um, head of the society. I think they're just they're just saying it. Although the the um the time when she paints her friend that actually does look quite good. I think that looks really good. It's very surprising because you see this this globe and it's like, oh, what a mess. Um, and then you see the painting that she does of Harriet and it's beautiful. It's a bit Burn jo- Edward Burn Jones looking. I don't know what that means. What's Edward? Oh, Burn one Jones? of the pre-Raphaelite um painters. Oh, yes. No, it is very pre-Raphaelite. Yeah. Um, And so if we talk about as well, there's that scene where they're at this party and Emma is being asked to play a little something at the Coles party on the piano. And then she does that song, that Where Have You Seen My Lady song, and she does it with Frank Churchill. Well, I think so. The the whole point is is that she's meant to be not as good as Jane. Exactly. Yeah. So... I think that it was a lovely song and it was jolly and maybe this is just because I can barely play piano but it was jolly, it was cheery and then when he did that one with Jane Fairfax I remember they were having a conversation with the song in the background and there was a pause in the conversation and then um, Churchill, you could just hear Churchill singing sickness and death (laughs) and pestilence Um, and it was very hilarious yeah. Actually, let's let's talk a little bit about Emma in relation to Jane Fairfax, I think, while we're on the subject of how likeable and relatable she is. What did you think about Jane Fairfax in, 
this adaptation. So uh, uh, presumably she's meant to be the one that's like, oh, loads of amazingly better than everyone else. And, and you think, oh, but I bet she's mean um, because she's so great. And then you meet her and she's not mean. And that in, it somehow makes it even worse and makes you feel even more guilty for hating her so much. And I think everyone has that in their life. I love that. Yeah, I think that the character of Jane Fairfax is such a brilliant one just so pitch perfect because yeah in the book as well she is someone who is talked about as as accomplished as emma is and that's that's maddening for emma like this is this like real competitive vibe so you want to hate jane fairfax but she's so nice yeah. She is not horrible at all. She's always polite to everyone. She's always kind-hearted. And in Regency era as well, she's always like refined and demure and modest in a way that was very much the, the done thing, the way for a lady to be, which is also very much in contrast with how Emma is at all. She's not, she's not demure. <laughs> and I just I, I just that, love then. that. Like this was some of the, the bits of Emma that I related to the most because we've all had that person where you're like I want to dislike you so much but I can't why do you have to be so nice and so good at everything you know yeah it's infuriating yeah I think for me Polly Walker the actress who played Jane Fairfax she's very good but I think she's way too sexy Oh, okay. To be Jane Fairfax. So she's, she's not meant to be. She's not meant the to way be she, sexy, no. I don't think. The way she dressed was, uh, which I really liked, which perhaps we can touch on later, is that she, the way she dressed is a lot more colourful and a lot more ornate and actually would have been the way that a lot of um, high-up people in Regency society would have dressed. And that was more sexy than Emma. And I really liked her, her costumes, um, yeah. Well, I think let's talk about that now because I think her costumes were gorgeous and they were sexy, but you're right, they were a lot more ornate than Emma's. And Jane Fairfax is very much, uh, she's an orphan. She's not very wealthy at all. She's not high up in society. I mean, she's staying with Miss Bates and Mrs. Bates, who are the only family that she has in Highbury and really the only family that she has at all. And then we've got Mrs. Elton as well trying to get her to take a, a job as a governess because what else is she going to do from Mrs. Elton's point of view? Like She's not going to marry anyone. She's not going to uh, have any money to live on. So she'd better go off and be a governess, eh? But she's got some real fancy clothes. Yeah, I think maybe the costumiers simply chose to zhuzh her up a bit to make her look more, like, worthy of jealousy, yeah. you know what I mean. But in terms of costume, overall... I thought that the costume was very, very good indeed. In my limited experience, I thought it was very realistic and very um, accurate, especially since all the women looked like they were wearing awful sacks, which is exactly (laughs) how it should be. Like, it's not a Regency adaptation unless... All the women just look completely shapeless and unflattering and like they're wearing sacks. And it's not in the spirit of the thing if they actually look nice. Um, (laughs) I mean, they did look nice, but like if they actually look shapely. But overall, I really thought the costume was great. And it was because 
they didn't just stick to muted pastel or white muslin sort of shift dresses, which, yes, in the early Regency era would have been prevalent, but at the time it was... So if we can assume that it was set when she wrote it, which I think was 1815... Uh, yeah, um, she started it in 1814, and uh, um, it <clears throat> was published in 1816, I think. Yeah. yeah. But just, or maybe just a few years before she wrote yeah. it. Um, but people were beginning to wear a lot more vibrant colours. Um, not only was it the sort of neoclassical, like Greco-Roman inspiration, but also coming in was the sort of uh, uh, Eastern influences. So they'd have a lot of gold and ornate sort of brocade and turbans and feathers and the hats. They would be like miniature toy soldier hats almost, the pillbox sort of shape. Yes, the the hats. Everyone was wearing bonnets. And I'm absolutely sick to death of bonnets. They didn't just wear bonnets. In this adaptation, I thought the costumes were very nice. They, they were bright colours. There were... I only saw one turban, which I was a little disappointed by, and no military influences. Do you really. remember who was wearing the turban? Because I, I don't, yes. but I have a feeling... About who it yes, it was um, the lady whose party she was very eager to be invited to so that she could turn her down. Oh, the Coles! The Coles! Yeah. yeah, so one of the reasons that I love Emma so much um, is because I think of all of Jane Austen's novels, it's got the most interesting things to say about class. Mm. So the Coles, I think, are really interesting. So in the book, they are um, wealthy tradespeople. So they yeah. are very much trying to get into gentry society. And, of course, back in the Regency era, you have to be a member of the gentry, you have to have an estate large enough that you are getting passive income from it. Um, or at least yes. somebody in your family has to have an estate large enough that you're getting passive income from it. But Sounds nice. It does sound nice. Um, <laughs> well, landlords are also a drain on society, but, but, yeah, for the purposes of these adaptations it sounds lovely it's true. um and also as that wasn't enough though you'd also have to be accepted by other members of the gentry and so the coals are very much people who have the money but haven't mm. they are referred to as nouveau riche you know the they haven't yet been accepted so they would have been showing off a bit more than Absolutely. necessary maybe yeah but the thing is that people during that time even the middle class and poor people did want to show off their wealth oh, of and the rich people would as well so in some things where everybody's all drab and and neutral colors like nobody would everybody would have been wanting to show off their wealth to the absolute maximum that they possibly could i think yeah but yeah okay so she's making a bit sort of bit of extra effort got something to prove yeah um and i also Another bit that I just think is really relatable in terms of Emma's character is how she's like that montage that they have in this adaptation where she's waiting for the post. Yes. And she's like, oh, was... obviously I wouldn't go, but why don't they write and invite me? And then she's just invisible and then she just suddenly appears <laughs> out of a chair bit. and says, why haven't they written? Oh, it's very amusing. Yeah, I and love then, it. And then she's just there and saying, I'm so glad you invited me. Yes, I just think the scene transitions in this adaptation are so good. They really capture a lot of the, the comedy that's in They're really. In there's the others that are like that, aren't there? Yeah. 
I can't remember. There's one where um, Miss Bates says, oh, and you must sit right there and say... And then she's sitting there and saying to Jane... <laughs> in a different costume. happy we yeah. are to have you here. And then you have Jane Fairfax there in her sexy dress with her very husky, oh, I'm very happy to be here, I'm <laughs> sure. Like, and it, Yeah. Um, but we've already covered that. So um, while yeah. we're kind of talking about the aspects of class, I mean, this is a romance story. So shall we talk a bit about the... The matches, the couples. Yes, I was very confused about the the bloke. Which one? The main bloke. I've forgotten his Mr. name. Knightley. The one she gets with, Mister Knightley. I was very confused by him because at the start of the film, she and her dad are just sitting in the drawing room having a normal conversation, and then suddenly this man just jumps in through the window, <laughs> and then he's in the whole of the rest of the film. And to be fair, just nope. when you say suddenly this man just jumps in through the window and then he's in the hole of the rest of the film, this was scene two. Yeah, but the, but it's like, who is it? it? There's no explanation of who he is, why he's there. He's just in the rest of the film and then she gets with him at the end and it's very confusing. <laughs> that's that's a really good point because I obviously I've come to this knowing the book so well that um, sometimes I find it difficult to to really judge whether or not an adaptation is explaining what's going on or whether it's just doing like a, a beat by beat sort of bullet point version of what's in the book you know and you yeah you're right actually now I think about it I don't think they ever do explain who Mr Knightley is no I just didn't know who he was the whole way through <laughs> it, it was very silly so um you know in the first scene or that we the, we meet him He's like, oh, isn't it a brother's place to criticise Emma? And then... Yeah, and that was very confusing to start with. Yeah, so obviously if you're then um, about to have this guy also be the romantic lead, I can imagine that that would have been an incredibly confusing thing to say. So... Well, it, it kind of gets explained later on at, at the ball where, where she's, she says... And it's, it's funny because he comes off as really sleazy. Oh, my goodness. And Are you talking about the bit says, at the ball where she's like, we're not so much brother and sister. That and then he says, indeed we are Ugh. not. Like, Ugh. watching her as she walks so away. Horrible. I hate that bit where... Um, Just so tonally out of keeping with the rest of it. It really... Well, it, it is almost tonally out of keeping with the rest of it. So there's the bit, the bit we're referring to is the... I think it's the Weston's Christmas party. No, it's the Weston's ball later on after Christmas and Emma and Mr Knightley are talking outside and um, Emma's been asked to come and dance to to close the party off and Mr Knightley's like oh who will you dance with and Emma says oh well with you if you'll ask me we're not so much brother and sister that we couldn't dance at a party and Mr Knightley says brother and sister ha 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 indeed we are not Um, even though earlier on in the in the film he was the one that was like it's a brother's job to criticize you emma um and then after she goes away he looks after her and he's like indeed we are not and it's very shadowy so it, the the whole feel of that few seconds of the film is it's almost like a psychological thriller it's just too raunchy it's, it, it's a bit much i don't find it raunchy but i do find well, sleazy, it sleazy that's very the sleazy. word and then there's another it is you're right completely out of keeping with most of the film except i think for the bit where at the box hill scene where they're going on a picnic and um i'm sure you'll remember this bit jess it's where she is criticizing miss bates ah yes and then <laughs> my future 
it's very sad scene and then um mr knightley comes up and tells her off for it at the end and um he's all like it was badly done emma and then he kind of takes a pause and then he's staring so intently at her neck and he just goes (laughs) badly done and so those are the two bits where i just feel like it's gone a little off piste it's just gone a little weird it's taken a turn yeah um i don't know if they were trying to be all like bodice ripping i I think that they probably were i think they probably Uh... were trying to be bodice ripping in those two other like two points and an otherwise (laughs) completely sort of stayed and prim and proper kind of and actually quite and i think that jeremy northam's mr knightley is a really naturalistic performance I was just too distracted by the fact that he jumped in through the window and then was in the film. Yeah, no, and that I mean, that is distracting. Like you think that he's coming in to be like a comedy character. Very odd. It is a bit odd. Um, but what did you think of their relationship as a whole? Um, I, I kind of like the sort of gradual dawning. Like I didn't really see it coming that obviously, and I thought that they did gradually warm towards each other. Um. I did think that the final scene at the very end was just a bit abrupt. Yeah. Where she said, oh, don't, don't say something that will hurt us both. And he's like, oh, okay, then bye. Um, and then he's, he only walks off for two seconds. And then she suddenly runs after him and says, oh, no, do say it after all. No, it's just a bit, a, a bit abrupt. I like that scene, actually. I think it's nice because she can immediately see how much she's hurt him by saying that she doesn't want to hear what she thinks is going to be him saying that he's in love with Harriet. Yeah. But what he is obviously intending is is to say that he's in love with her. And so I think this is this really nice moment where Emma doesn't want to hear that he's in love with Harriet and have her heart broken. But she sees that him not telling her is upsetting to him. And so she has this immediate like moment of self-sacrifice where she's like, no, yeah. tell me, please, I, I want us to be friends. So it's sort of an altruistic... Yeah, I think so. And I think that one of the nice things about this adaptation, because obviously, as you say, who Mr. Knightley is can be quite confusing. Um, so in case our listeners aren't aware, Mr. Knightley is the brother of Emma's sister's husband. So they're not quite brother and sister-in-law. This is the first time that I have ever learned this. Really? And I've seen it twice, yeah. So when um, when at the end in the proposal scene, when he's saying, I went to John's house, but Isabella was there reminding me of you. Absolutely no, no idea. No idea what Just that meant. No, okay. no clue. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and so also when he's like, I'm a brother and can criticise you, you had no idea what that was. No, I, I, I think maybe I... I don't think I missed anything. No, I mean, they don't actually say, now that you mention it, no, they don't say explicitly at any point in the film. Oh, dear. Which, of course, it is explicitly stated in the book. But, and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I think you're probably right. I think that the clues, they're there if you already know who Mr. Knightley is, but I'm not sure I would have picked up on it either. Yeah, so the idea of Emma and Mr. Knightley is that they've had this relationship um, that's almost familial. Hmm. for all of Emma's life um, and that's an element of the the relationship that I really have a problem with ah okay obviously they have this big age difference so Emma in the book is 21 and 
Mr. Knightley is 37. And they do say in the adaptation, um, there's this bit where Emma's holding the baby and they're sitting on those, I, I think, lovely oh, yes. little chair things. Oh, well, yes, they are sort of um, ancient Greek style. There's some of the furniture in this is very nice. It's very, very in keeping, I'll certainly say And that. also, just as a smaller side, there's that one scene in the montage where she's waiting for the post from the coals and she's sitting on one of those same little stool things and um, she's placed between two orange trees. And I just thought that was a beautiful shot. That's beautiful and it's very incredibly iconic of the fashions of the age yeah, as well. Yeah, it's very like Greco-Roman and shows you so much how much money she has. Yes, definitely. To have oranges. Oh my goodness, two trees indoors? Oh my. <laughs> but to go back to what I was saying about Mr. Knightley, yeah, so there's that, that lovely bit where um, they're on the those two chairs by the fire, Emma's got the baby, and they've been having an argument about Harriet. And um, Mr. Knightley does say, I was 16 when you were born, and so I know a lot more than you do. And Emma's saying, well, hasn't. 21 years since then closed the gap so now we know equal amounts and Mr Knightley's like oh hmm, narrowed it maybe and I think that there's this element of their relationship where it is very unequal or at least he sees it as unequal he sees it as he is the sensible one with life experience and he's always criticizing Emma he I mean it's a big point in the film that he's always criticizing her and I have a real issue with that. And I think a lot of modern readers have a real issue with that in that their age gap and that relationship that he's had with her where he has basically guided her growing up is a real... And then marries her. And then marries her. her. It's a real point of tension in... Yes, it's in... In how we relate to it. And also I think he steered her upbringing and, and then married and her. And then married her. And when we're talking about Mansfield Park, there's a relationship that I have even more of an issue with for a lot of these reasons um the one kind of like redeeming feature of the relationship in emma for me is that he has been criticizing her he has um been trying to steer her but um there's an argument to be made that he hasn't successfully done that in any way <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose. and i think that what this film does really well what this adaptation does really well is really hone in on the fact that they are best friends which yeah. makes makes me a lot more comfortable with it yes that makes a lot more sense because i think while yes you can I, obviously i don't think it's healthy for a relationship to be formed on the basis of one partner critiquing the other i think this film does put across quite well that Emma is someone who is in such a position in society where nobody ever criticizes her. Yeah. Everybody is always talking about how great she is, how accomplished she is, Even how her kind painting. she is, how good her painting is. Like, oh God. Her, her her father's always saying things like, "There's no fault that you could ever find with Emma," which is really sweet, but also a bit like, "Come on, man." Yeah. And because she is at the head of society, and so her mother died when she was very young, and her sister's been married for about six or seven years. Um, well, I had no idea about that, no. so um, <laughs> thanks for filling me in. <laughs> um, well, with that you know, important background knowledge, she has been at the head of society for this village for a really long time. And I mean, let's be honest, looking at her father and how he's presented in the book and in the film, yes, okay, a lot of their income is passive, but there is some stuff to be done in the running of an estate and do we really think that 
Henry Woodhouse has been doing all of it? I don't think so. In the book, she's certainly not. She's described as having been the mistress of the house for quite some time. And there's the, you can see it a little bit where she's um, realizing she's in love with Mr. Knightley and she's talking about how much she didn't think about him when she was talking to Cook and she didn't think about him in the garden. And um, uh, yes. then she's giving the the menu to the cook and she's saying like, oh, is Mr. Knightley coming? This is his favorite dinner. So you do see a little bit of uh, the fact that she is managing the household, which it was the job that women are yeah. expected to do. And when you're proposing to a woman as a Regency man, you're proposing to them as your wife, but also the person who's going to do the job of running your household, which if you have a large estate is probably quite a few staff and keeping the budget which if you have a large income is a lot of money and if you have a small income is actually way more important. But this is something that Emma's been doing for a really long time. And so, A, she has actually been living as fully an adult with a lot of what that entails for a long time. And secondly, there is nobody in her life at all that really challenges her in any way. Yes, And so I think that when you look at it in that context, the fact that Mr. Knightley challenges her is a less problematic Mm. because it's not like she's hurting for support from every other angle. And I'm not saying that that means it's okay if your partner's criticizing you, if you have supportive friends, it's not. But the fact that he is the only person that is willing to challenge her, I think does make it, it comes from a different place. Yes, I know what you mean. And also... Like I know when I was a teenager, like the the most attractive thing that someone could do to for me was to challenge me. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So this idea that Mr. Knightley is like one of the only people in Emma's life that actually can match her wits and, and challenges her, I think makes it a lot more um a lot more attractive. And I, I I'm still not fine with it, but I feel like it's a bit more understandable. And certainly in this adaptation, they, they really capture that, I think. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, it just somewhat redeems it. Yeah, like there's the, there's the really nice scene where um, Emma and Mrs. Weston have decided, or well, Mrs. Weston has decided that Mr. Knightley's in love with Jane Fairfax. And Emma's like, mm. no, definitely not. <laughs> and in the book, it's really lovely. There's this little bit, this little line where she's like, absolutely not, Mrs. Weston. How could you say that? Um, my nephew Henry wouldn't uh, inherit Donwell Abbey if Mr. Knightley were to marry. And so that's it. That's that's the reason why he just can't. That's not acceptable. So it couldn't possibly, it couldn't possibly be. be. He couldn't possibly be in love with Jane Fairfax. And there's this lovely scene where um, the three of them are hanging out. And um, they're in this garden with the three benches and... Mrs. Weston and Emma are talking about Jane Fairfax and Emma's like, oh, do you know how high your regard for her is? And um, he's saying, oh, so you two have been scheming that I'm in love with Jane Fairfax. Ah, yes. And she's like, of course not. You couldn't come and sit with us if you were married. And I just love that scene because I think Jeremy Northam, one thing that I think his portrayal does really, really well is that he always sits and lounges in such a Regency way. Yes, and they would. They actually were encouraged to sit and lounge, and it was kind of um, both a tightening and a loosening of morals mm. at the time. But it was like people simultaneously wanted to look 
louche and loose and fancy, but they also wanted to look prim and proper. And <laughs> so people would have, like it affected the furniture and people would have furniture that they would just languish across rather than sitting on. And everybody would be encouraged to just lie on things and drape themselves across things to look the part. So that's very in keeping. Yeah, I think that that way that Mr Knightley's like sitting so loosely on this bench, it just gives this really lovely familiarity. Like you can see that the three of them, they're this tight knit, they're besties. Yeah. They're best friends. And I, I think that's nice. And especially in the proposal, like I wrote down actually in my notes here, that we thought it was a bit rubbish and we said it was very staid. Ah. But actually, watching it again, I, I quite liked it. I like that he really talks about how they're friends and he's calling her my dear friend. So I, I like that about their relationship. Uh, to what extent was the dialogue from the book? Because it sounded as if it used a lot of lines from the original book, but... I I'm not um, sure. Do you mean just in the proposal or overall? No, just overall. Overall, but, but the yeah. So there, well. there are a lot of lines that are taken directly from the book. A lot. Ah, okay. Obviously, because it's a a film, they are not all verbatim. Um, because then we'd be watching. It would just it would sound incredibly weird. Yeah. With a little man that just um pops up and shouts, he said, and she said at various <laughs> points. Um. So it's not it's not all verbatim, obviously, um, and there is a lot that they have condensed or added in to to show various things that would otherwise be shown by pros, um, and I think that they do that really well. Aww. The proposal itself is um, not verbatim at all, and they okay. I, I wanted to point out they take out a really gross line where Mister Knightley tells Emma that he's loved her since she was thirteen. Oh, oh yeah, maybe best to do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, uh. So um, yeah, that that bit especially I think benefits from their changes. Um, oh, yes. let's just talk about Frank Churchill a little bit. Um, so when we're because talk- we've been talking about friendship, I want to talk about Harriet Smith as well. But let's just talk about Frank Churchill for a little bit because one of the things that they change in the dialogue is that do you remember the scene where they're at the coals and um, the coals. You know, the party, the Coles party, which Emma doesn't want to be invited to. Yeah. And then they're talking about how Jane Fairfax has um, been given a piano forte. Ah, yes. And um, Frank Churchill says, I bet this Mr. Dixon, her best friend's husband, sent it because he was in love with Jane Fairfax. And that's why she's had to leave her friends to come to Highbury. And um, given that they're engaged, that's a dick-ass move. Well, he's trying to hide the sort of uh, make make sure people don't find out, isn't he? He's trying to cover his tracks. Yeah, but the thing is, in the book, Emma is the one that says that to Frank Churchill. Emma's the one that's been gossiping. Oh, so they're making him out as more of a scoundrel than he is in the book. I think in this one, Frank Churchill is less likeable. I I thought he was such a scoundrel. Yes. He goes around spreading rumours and he really definitely does flirt with um with Emma. In the book he's actually flirtier for longer. Ah. Oh my 
goodness. And it's just so mean of him because he's such a time waster. I've been church-hilled before. Have you? I was church-hilled for an entire summer and it's just such an infuriating waste of time. And it's just... What... Oh, what a scoundrel, yeah. that's what I say. I, I know that we said we were going to try and steer away from the bad swears, but I just don't know any other way to talk about Frank Churchill than by calling him a fuckboy. Yeah, he is a bit. Also... Ewan McGregor's hair in this film is a mess. So I've got this little book here, The Observer's Book of European Costume, and I'm not being sponsored by it because it probably went out of print like, oh, 1975, okay. But it's so good. It's tiny because I've got a massive costume book as, as well of like actual... But if you're an observer, you can't be carrying around a huge tome Well, e- exactly. If you're walking around the, the uh, streets of... Georgian Britain. You've got to have something that'll fit in your pocket. Eyeballing everyone's outfits. Yes, exactly. I am very sorry to say that some men might have had slightly longer hair. It's not the length. It's not the length. It's the fact that it's so messy. It's very badly dyed as well. I mean, I don't know what colour you and McGregor's hair is. I can only assume it's a wig because I don't think that 1996 Ewan McGregor would have done that to his hair. Well, he was probably too busy being in um, Velvet Goldmine or something. I mean, it just looks awful. And there's absolutely no reason for it at all. There isn't. Because men at the time would also have short hair. Um, so it's just preposterous. And again, it's not the length. It's just that it's a mess. And Frank Churchill is very much like he should be this kind of dandy-esque figure. I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to keep saying in the book because this is an adaptation and I want to take it on its own merits. But... There is a, a bit in the book where Frank Churchill claims that he's going to London for a day to get his hair cut. Well, he should have done it then, shouldn't and he? I just feel like if there's someone in your society where the whole town believes he's gone to London to get his hair cut, he should have better hair. Maybe he just went to London to get straw glued to his head. That's the only explanation I can possibly think of. Um, I, On the whole, though, I do think that Ewan McGregor's quite good in this. His costume really uh, really reflected his character. It was fancy and over the top and a bit loose. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, he's got this gorgeous green coat that I he wears. It, well, maybe he has two, but there's a purple one, and I covet it with all my heart. I really feel like... I, I know that you've already said you don't like the Regency women's fashions. I love the Regency men's fashions. I want to wear them desperately. Oh, definitely. They're they're just wonderful. Yeah, next time we go to the Jane Austen Festival, maybe I'll see if I can get myself a Regency men's outfit. Oh, okay. Um, I can help. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's talk about Harriet Smith, though. She's a huge part of this book, like a huge part of this book and what this, like one of the themes that this adaptation, I think, really pulls the most out of is on, in friendship. So let's talk about Harriet. What did you think of her? Well, I really like Toni Collette. She's, I think she's a really good actor. She is, has a very wide range of voices and accents. Um, and I thought it was a good casting choice. Um, I thought maybe she um, played the part a little bit over the top of me. Oh, oh I'm so silly. Oh, I, I don't know what's going on. Oh, I'll just do what you tell me. Like, maybe a little bit over the top. But I, is she that silly in the book she is silly yeah 
She is okay. silly. But she, I think she's silly while still being likeable. And there's no point at which I go, oh, for God's sake, you idiot. Like, she's very warm. She's silly, but warm yeah. and likeable. And she is absolutely silly and warm, but likeable in the book. I have to be honest, and I I say this as absolutely no shade on Tony Collette. I hate her casting as Harriet. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Um, I think it's a bit over the top and squeaky. I don't think yes. that her voice is charming. And she is a very attractive woman, but Harriet Smith should be a bloody stunner. Oh, so do you think that they were trying to make the two characters look sort of exaggeratedly different? I think so. I think they were trying to make Harriet Smith look like a bumpkin. Yeah. Well, the way that they've done a lot of her costumes and and makeup and hair is a little bit over-the-top sort of different to Emma. Well, the one thing I quite like is that as the the film goes on, her costume and hair really starts to copy Emma's quite distinctly. Oh, okay. She starts with all these, like, ringlets around her face and her hair quite loose, and then by the end it's all very tucked in just like Emma's is but yes I think that her I think that her voice I think that her manner and I think that her look is a little too me too much bumpkin for me the thing is I I love Emma and Harriet's relationship I also think it is very gay ah okay a huge amount is made about how beautiful Harriet is by Emma specifically but everyone else no one else is like really you think she's hot but I think that main thing that draws Emma to Harriet is her beauty yeah and not just that it's also that she's like she's not got any airs and graces but she's just genuinely really sweet natural as they would have said at the time perhaps also the fact that Emma is basically placing Harriet with all these men um she thinks that she can do better than Robert Martin because she's she's hot because she's so beautiful she can have her pick of whoever she wants is what Emma thinks and I think that that only makes sense. And Emma, own, when she says to Mr. Knightley in that scene with the archery, when she says that Harriet can have her pick of men, or well not her pick, but like a lot of men, because because she's beautiful and sweet. Um, yeah. And Mr. Knightley's saying that those two things aren't enough. And Emma's like, well, it from my point of view, your sex cares mostly about those two things. I think that that works when Harriet is a stunner. Yes. And I don't think that Tony Collette is a stunner in this film. Yeah, certainly the way they've made certainly her up the way and the costume up. and hair and made her very dowdy and a bit frumpy. Yeah, they've made Tony Collette less attractive in this film, not more. Mm. Do you think that they did that to sort of make Emma seem more silly and more deluded? Ooh, or, or that's to make nice. Emma look... I think they did it to make Emma look better, to make Gwyneth look better by comparison. But I like your interpretation. Well, that's a bit uncalled for. But, yeah, uh, because I I kind of did get the impression that Emma was like, well, it's very laudable. She's got a lot of faith in her uh, her friend, but is it realistic, really? And, of course, it's not realistic, but also it's not meant to be that unrealistic. uh, It is meant to be unrealistic. She is meant to be partial. And I think that there's this lovely bit where Mr Knightley's telling her what Mr Elton says in the company of men alone. Yeah. Which highlights the fact that Emma is making judgments based on what she has seen of Mr. Elton. And it's not that she's completely making stuff up out of thin air. Mr. Elton is working very hard to present 
a version of himself to her that maybe would have married Harriet. Oh, okay. It's not until that scene where they're in the carriage and he's proposing to her and she's horrified that he speaks of Harriet with that, like, Miss Smith, Miss Smith. And then you realise what a snob he is. Oh, yeah. Or, from a different point of view, how prudent he is. Yeah, they they were being... I mean, compared to modern values, they were being ridiculously squeamish about Harriet's upbringing. Yeah, for sure. It was just pure silliness. But at the time, of course, they were being sensible. Mm. What did you think of their friendship? The friendship between Emma and Harriet? Mm, It seemed a bit one-sided. Like, Harriet adored Emma, but Emma just kept wanting to steer her life and and not really didn't want Harriet to affect her life very much in return. Oh, can we talk about the scene where um, Harriet comes running to Emma and she's got that letter from Mr Martin saying that he's proposing to her? The one about courtship? Oh, no, that's the one from Mr Elton. I mean, the one where she's like, she's coming to Emma and she's like, he's written, he's proposed to me. And Oh, the farmer. Is Mr Martin Yeah, Mr Martin's the farmer. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, that's really horrible because she seems really happy at, at first. I know. And then she seems really sad that she has to turn him down, but she doesn't want to make Emma cross. And that's that's one of the main things that made me think Emma was just being a bit too harsh. I, I think that Harriet's so sweet in that scene. And yeah, I think that scene's probably the closest I get to hating Emma. I was just like, just leave her alone. Just let her be happy. And that farmer was nice as well. I love Mr. Martin. If somebody goes three whole miles to get you some walnuts, even nowadays, that's a laudable act. I think so. Just because you happen to have mentioned in passing that you like walnuts. Yeah, he seems really nice. I like him. I think he's a, a sweetheart. Oh, by the way, I don't know if this is the right time to mention it, but the... I think they need to fire the location manager. (laughs) Why is that? Because every single time there's an outdoor scene, there's just this massive swamp. They're always (laughs) walking through this horrible, brown, muddy swamp. Are you talking about the little river? The little stream? It's not a river, it's a brackish swamp. It's It's probably full of eutrophication. Oh, I do have... um... I do have a note here from when we first watched this that said that you were um, very sorry to see that there was period inappropriate invasive Indian balsam. Yes, there was Indian balsam, which I don't think would have invaded um, at the time. I, I remember that well. And it, it just looked like like a park or something that you would walk your dog in. But So when Harriet meets the farmer and, and they walk over that bridge, that, that bit's a swamp... Um, when Emma is shooting arrows, there's this terrible swamp behind them. And then when she walks up to the targets to get the arrows out, there's this horrible, muddy, brown, bare earth that's just... I, I don't know what possessed them. It's almost like the whole thing is taking place in some dystopian future <laughs> where the world is flooded and everyone's just gone back to Regency values. Um, I'm really glad that you said all that because... My whole understanding of that aspect of the film can be summed up in what I wrote down, which is, there are some very nice countryside shots. Oh! <laughs> okay. Um, I really want to just talk about Alan Cummings as Mr. Elton and Mrs. Elton yes. for a few minutes, and then let's let's do the, the scoring. 
Yes, um, I don't think we've covered the background characters very much either, but perhaps we could do that in the scoring. In fact, let's just go straight on to scoring, because when we come to side characters, we can talk about the Eltons and we can talk about Miss Bates. Yes, let's go. Cool. Okay, so um, for the scoring, we have five categories, um, which actually count towards the final score. And we will both score them out of 10. And then when we add up our five scores out of 10 for both of us, we will come to a percentage score and that will be the score of the film. And um, then we also have four separate categories which don't count towards scoring because I don't think that they're important for a Jane Austen adaptation, but I thought other people might want to know. So we'll just let you know about that. Also, I really, really want to make pie charts of these percentage scores. We must. Look out for that (laughs) exciting um, add-on. Okay, so the first one, the likability of the leading lady. I think we've already covered quite a lot of how much we like Emma. Yes. Are we going out of um, out of ten? Yeah. Yes. So it adds to a hundred or something. Um, so I'm not. I'm going to give her a seven. Six. Seven. I'm going to give her a seven. Are you? Yeah. I, I just thought she was a bit mean. I think I would also give her a seven actually, okay. um, because. I, I really like her. I like her a lot. Uh, maybe I'll give her an eight. But I think you're right that she's... She meddles. Yeah, she looked really meddling and she was really harsh to Miss Bates. She's harsh to Miss Bates, but also I think that she's... Um, she... You know, there's this bit at the end where she's talking to Harriet and she's like, oh, please know that all I ever wanted was your happiness. But it's like, no, you didn't. Aww. You were yeah. saying, oh, I could never come and visit you if you were Mrs. Martin. You didn't just want her happiness. You were being selfish as well. Um, oh, my yeah. my housemate came in during that scene, I think, where they're, you know, that scene where they're saying, like, oh, I've only ever wanted your happiness. And she was like, oh, are these two lesbians? And I was like, no, this is Jane Austen adaptation. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're not. And she was like, well, they have big scissoring energy, which I thought was actually very true. <laughs> yes, I think that's yeah. definitely very true. Um, okay, so the next one is the sexiness of the leading man, Jeremy Northam's Mr. Knightley. So my scoring of this is wildly skewed. I don't think that I um, have the same sort of measure of attractiveness for men as, as most of society does. That's perfectly fine. This is meant to be our very subjective views. Uh, I thought he was very conventionally attractive. mm uh, but maybe he wasn't warm enough for me. Um, yeah, just just wasn't. Uh, oh, what score? Mm, mm, six or a seven? Six. I give him a six. A strong. Uh, a strong six point five. A strong six point five. Do you know what? I I feel like I also want to give him a strong six point five. Okay. But I will. No, I will give him a six point five. No, you know what? I'm going to give him a seven. And the reason for that is I think that uh, 1996 Jeremy Northam is a very handsome man. Yes. I think that he has two moments where he is incredibly intense and a bit creepy and weird. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, so weird. I'm going to give Jeremy Northam's Mr. Knightley a little bump up because um, he focuses so much on how much he likes Emma as a friend. And he's often looking at her in this like really I'm in love with my best friend kind of a way which I think is nice. Yes, it is. It's very nice. And also he jumps in through a window, which, um, <laughs> you know, that's, if you want to have a big entrance. 
Oh, and I'll tell you what else I like about Mr. Knightley uh, as played by Jeremy Northam is I think that it's great the way that he sits in a Regency way, but in a way where that Regency way doesn't look stiff, it looks really natural. And I think that he yeah. has good costumes. So I will give yes. him a seven. His, I think his hair is all right, but at certain points the parting's weird, but that's fine. I think he's got good hair. Yeah, it's quite appropriate. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we're broadly in favour of Jeremy Northam. And then the next one is, um, I think we're going to talk a little bit longer on this one. Uh, How funny did we think the side characters were? Right. So the first time I ever saw this film was the first time I had ever seen a Jane Austen adaptation. And apart from my ill-fated foray into what was probably Northanger Abbey when I was about like 12 or 13, this was the first time that I'd ever sort of experience what what Jane Austen is all about Um, and I think that the side characters must have been very good because my first impression of most of the film was just who on (laughs) earth are all these insufferable people (laughs) like are they all mad like what they're just every single one of them is absolutely unbearable and I don't know what society must have been at the time but they they must have all been so bored with no real work to do that they must have all just gone slowly insane and become these just unbearable, absolutely annoying people. And it was wonderful. Yeah, I, I think the side characters in this are great. I have I have to say, I think most of my score for this is going to come down to Miss um, Bates as... She was an, a treasure, absolutely I felt really sorry for her, but also so frustrated with her. And that's, I think, exactly perfect. Like, Sophie Thompson's Miss Bates is amazing. I think her laugh is a little bit much for me. Because <laughs> I, I think that sometimes she does it in ways where I'm like, I, I feel like I'm watching a portrayal. Uh, it's not okay. natural. Like, it broke me out of her character a few times. So I had the very, very strong feeling that she was exactly like the kind of person that you would come across in real life. Apart from that, I thought she was brilliant. There's just this lovely scene. It's not, the the particular touch isn't in the book, but so Emma has brought Harriet to the Bates' house to be like, there's one place where you can't, talk about Mr. Elton or you won't be able to talk at all and then um, uh, she takes them to the Bateses and then Miss Bates is like I've had a letter from Mrs. Cole and it's all about Mr. Elton and she's giving oh, out oh yes so typical. yeah she's giving out these um the cakes but she keeps talking about like I think she's talking about Jane Fairfax's letter actually maybe and she's saying like oh and as you know today is Thursday but uh, Jane's day for writing is on a Tuesday and as I was saying to my mother oh well actually there was a letter for, from Jane today but it's a Thursday um, and she's giving out these cakes and she's like and she goes to give Emma the cake and then she goes oh napkin sorry and then she goes and gets the napkin and then she keeps talking and Emma can't get the cake and then eventually she does get the cake and then she goes to give Harriet a cake and then she's like oh napkin sorry and I just thought that was really good. It was excellent acting, and it, it was actually the bit where, with the nap, she kept forgetting the napkins. That was so realistic. Wasn't it? Just... it was really naturalistic. It was uncanny. And I, I know that I have encountered people. Thank goodness I can't remember who they were, so I'm, I'm not going, you know. But they, I have definitely encountered people in my life who are exactly like that. Yeah. And I really liked her mom as well, who never speaks. She was an absolute legend. Um, so I, I like to watch the uh, the extras and as well. 
because uh, I've I've been an extra once in a, a costume drama, and I really love to watch the extras. And by the way, the extras were brilliant, but we'll go on to that later. But um, she just she's always doing something funny. So in the scene where they're all seated at the dinner table, she's just sort of sucking on this leaf, <laughs> and like she can't she she can't get any like anything off the leaf. She's just trying to like bite this leaf, and it's not working. Oh. And then. I just notice in another scene, she, while the other characters are talking, she's just reaching out for a piece of wax fruit. And she's just oh, no. g- like gradually going to eat this wax fruit. <laughs> and it's just so good. Just that <laughs> attention to detail. Oh, just brilliant. That's so good. I loved her. Um, and then the other, um, the other side character that I thought was amazing, absolutely amazing, was Juliet Stevenson's Mrs. Elton. Oh, yes as this like or just insufferable person who thinks they're so yes. great and so like fashionable but in this really fussy way and is overly familiar about everything was she the one where she's like oh um oh well i couldn't possibly say that i'm good at music but my, my, my friends, friends say. Do say that i was certain <laughs> so if i don't turn into miss bates I am very afraid that I might actually turn into that because I think I have that thing where I'm very familiar with people I have absolutely no right to be familiar with and just ramble on about accomplishments. <laughs> um, I Yeah, I thought she was great. I thought she was brilliant. There's a, a great bit where um, they're in the... They're having dinner. I can't remember whose house it is at, but they're having dinner. And then Mrs. Weston comes in. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry I'm late, but I've got great news. Frank's coming back and he's buying like he's taking a house in Highbury and he's coming back after being with his aunt and um, Mrs Elton's like oh well I think he'll find that there's been a new addition to Highbury and um, she's still eating like she's still chewing her food while she's talking and (laughs) no one replies to her and she says it like three times like oh I mean I don't call myself an addition but I'm sure some of my friends would say and she just keeps going on just like desperate I think for someone to say yes we're so happy to have you here. Frank's sure to oh, love you. Great. And it's painful, but so well done. It's pure British cringe. Yeah, it's. I think it's the side characters that make things like this. Because it, it's a gentle character comedy, isn't it? And it's not really about Emma and that bloke who jumped in through the window. It's. I think it is, but I think it's equally about the rest of them. Yeah, it's equally about the funny side characters who I adored. Because we haven't spoken about Mr. Elton until now, oh, which yes. is a massive oversight on our part, but how, how did you think Alan Cummings did in I this? think he did very well. I think he was he was really quite obnoxious. Oh, wasn't he? Yes, absolutely. Alan Cummings in this was not how I pictured Mr. Elton in my head. Oh, okay. But I think he was a great version of that character. How do you picture him? Uh, well, everyone in... The book is always talking about how hot Mr. Elton is, how hot and how charming. Oh. And yeah, okay. um, obviously I the first encounter that I had with the story was in Clueless, where the, the only character whose name is carried over is Elton. Ah, oh, yes. And he's played as someone who's very hot and charming, um, but is a sleaze and is a snob. And, um, I, and so I very much took those two aspects of the character. In, into my head and him being a sleaze and being a snob and I did find that Mr. Elton like Alan Cummings as Mr. Elton was so simpering yes he's really unpleasant I thought that was good though it was another interpretation of the character that wasn't mine but was 
still great. Yeah, well, I th- and then he got his comeuppance because he he got his comeuppance for being a snob and for going by class because then, you know, we've got that woman. Um, and then I love the bit where he he's always trying to get a word in and he never does. Oh, I was just going to talk about that bit. You know, in the um, in that scene where Emma's giving them the tour of the house and if you watch Alan Cummings during that scene and he's always, like, opening his mouth. And, like, yeah, I did. I noticed and greatly appreciated that. That was really good. Uh, so what score would you give the side characters? Oh, I don't know. Um, I would also give the dad uh, extra props for being absolutely insufferable. Um, and I imagine he's what, what it's like when you're a child and you want to run and play out and then your your parents are going, oh, don't forget to wear your anorak. <laughs> oh, don't forget to wear your helmet if you're cycling and all this. And he's just the uh, embodiment of that. He, and I think in my notes I've just got... What an insufferable man. <laughs> I I have a real affection for Mr. Woodhouse, but I totally, totally get that. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a hypochondriac because his wife died, right? So I feel a bit mean criticising him. Uh, oh, I think that when we are doing another version of this book and when we have a bit more time left, I would love, 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 love to get into what is wrong with Mr. Woodhouse. Ooh. There is so much to be said on that point. Oh, okay. But um, I'm aware that we have been going for quite some time. So I will keep that as a future treat. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the side characters. And I'm going to give them a 9.5. A 9.5. They were absolutely unbearable. And it was that perfect British... I know it's American director, but it's that perfect British cringe. And they had some real stars as the side characters as well. I agree that they were absolutely brilliant. I'm giving them an 8, though. Because... Okay. I wanted um, a less sexy Jane Fairfax and I wanted a more flirty Frank Churchill. But I can only drop two from that because I I just think everyone else is so brilliant. Yeah. Oh, maybe I've peaked too soon. Who knows? Oh, goodness. No, I think that I think we're doing well. Maybe this is like the worst one that I'll ever watch and then all the others will just blow (laughs) my socks off. Um. So let's go for how much we felt like we were watching an Austin story. As I've already said, I thought the costumes were great. They didn't just um, focus on the stereotypical um, white shift dress. Um, oh, should we talk? The... Though, I, I did notice that there was something wrong with the wedding dress, which I think you might also want to talk I about. I was just about to say that. Was that a something that I said when I watched it first with you? No, it's actually or something you that think I, I already knew about, but you go, you go I, on. It's in massive capital letters, yes. So they wouldn't necessarily have worn a white wedding dress unless it just happened to be their best dress. Like, unless their best dress just happened to be white because it just wasn't... Everyone just wore their best dress. Like, the idea of a white wedding dress, I didn't really come in... When when did that come in? It's relatively modern, isn't it? Uh, Queen Victoria got married wearing white. Ah, yeah, and then took off from there. And then everyone else started getting married wearing white. But yeah, you would have just worn your best dress. So at the start, when her... um, when her tutor gets married and then at the end when she gets married and they're both wearing white dresses and they didn't and also they didn't look that much more fancy than some of the dresses they'd worn to parties and in fact sometimes they were more muted just for the sake of being white and that wouldn't have been the case it 
they would have worn just their absolute best dress. Um, however, it's a brave costume drama. Is it costume drama or period drama? Because when I say costume drama, nobody understands what the heck I'm going well, on Well, I think we can establish now that when you say costume drama, you mean period costume. Period drama. And everyone from now on will have to understand you because you've told them what it means. My boyfriend calls them menstrual dramas <laughs> as a hilarious joke. Um, so it's, uh, Well, historical adaptations anyway. It's a brave historical adaptation that will not have a white wedding dress because it's such an iconic sort of image nowadays and it's such a ingrained convention nowadays that to modern audiences people would think it was weird. Yeah. And like how how much do you think they should make concessions to that and how much do you well, think... Well, I mean, that's a question, isn't it? How much do you yeah. want... Because as well, there's a lot of the characters in this adaptation particularly where... And it's uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is not one, but where they the face that they have cast for is what a Regency society would consider to be the epitome of attractiveness. Like There's the, the bit where Mr Elton is um, in, the, in the carriage proposing to Emma... And I don't think yeah. of Alan Cummings as a, an attractive man, a particularly attractive man. But there's a bit in the that scene where he's pro- like just being awful and completely drunk and won't stop proposing to Emma. Where I was like, oh, he looks just like a Regency portrait would try and look. Yeah. So do you cast actors that? So do you cast for that, or do you cast because some so Regency portraits started to look a little more attractive but there are some georgian portraits where you think how How can you think that that's hot yeah so a lot of both the women and the men have these very round pulpy pulpy what's the word like insipid pale faces no angles no standing out features and they've got these enormous frog eyes that are like twice as big as their face and it's scary and they all look like they're crying yeah and they've got gray hair i did appreciate that the actors weren't wearing makeup which i appreciated i think they were wearing some but only like stage makeup very subtle and you know although i'm sure they gave jane fairfax a smoky eye Yes, I think they did. But a, a person could realistically have a smoky eye, naturally. But And also, I, I do think that makeup was very frowned upon, but I do think that some women cheated. Oh, they absolutely did wear makeup. They did. They wouldn't have put, like, their makeup would have been a different look than what we would go for, but they would have put on a little bit. Yeah, they would have pinched their cheeks. They would have. They didn't wear mascara. And so to us, it looks like it's not wearing makeup. Um, so I I liked the houses, the furnishings, uh, and but the swamps were a bit weird, and the Indian balsam uh, ruined it a bit. I'm going to give it a nine. A nine. I am going to give it. Um, oh, I don't know what I'm going to give it because on the one hand, I think that what they did brilliantly in this adaptation is they really captured the comedy. Yes. The things that with the scene transitions, just making all of the punchlines really just like all the juxtapositions in what people say and how they do things, I just thought were so tight. And I think that's probably how she would have wanted. I mean, I haven't read them, but. Yeah, I think that Jane Austen would have really liked this adaptation. I, I mean, I don't. I don't like to usually be like, oh, Jane Austen would have liked this or would have liked that, because I don't know, because 
I don't know her. I never met her. She lived a long and died a long time before I was born. But um, and also, I don't think it necessarily matters that much. But I do think she would have liked this one in terms of if I'm reading the book, what do I think she was going for, and yes. what does this achieve? And I think that it does achieve a lot of what the book's aims are. I think that it's very funny. Um, however, there are some subtleties of character that I think are lost. Okay. I agree that, like, I understand that you're never going to get every single little bit of a character in an adaptation that is two hours long compared to a book that is three volumes. But there were a few bits where I was like, it is a real shame that they've reduced this down. Yeah. Like, I felt like, to some extent as well, I felt like I was reading, uh, like, a, a condensed Sparks notes. Like, a really funny one. Like, it was so funny because some things they, they really explored in depth. Like, the the way that they've shown up the the funny characters is great the way that they've explored that friendship theme that's going through the book is great but a lot of the stuff was just like they just seemed like they were hitting beats yes but apart from that i think it was good i'm gonna give it an eight okay yeah for austin lee vibes and um how much did you enjoy watching it oh i enjoyed it a great deal i thought it wasn't too long it didn't lag it kept my attention the whole way through in a I think you can tell you're enjoying a film when it, it seems to have gone really quickly. Yeah. And I, I, I thought it was very amusing. I've just got this note, artichokes. I don't know what that is. I think I liked the sets and how they put artichokes as centrepieces. I'm going to put another... Oh, am I, am I peaking too soon? I'm going to put another nine for enjoyability. Another nine? I, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to put another eight. Yeah, I'm going to put an eight because I also thought it was very fun. I watched this on Wednesday. So I'd already seen it a few times. I watched this on Wednesday for what was the third or fourth time. And then I I also watched it again this morning. So I feel like I obviously enjoyed it a lot. And also what I do appreciate about this adaptation is um, there are some good dogs in this. There are some real good dogs. Good do- oh my gosh. I think they were Irish wolfhounds. Did you see those? Um, so there's the bit where they're doing the archery. Yes, those were, yeah, the Irish wolfhounds. Yeah, I think those were Irish wolfhounds. Do you know what kind the puppies were? The puppies? I can't remember them very well. Were, weren't they like sheepdogs I don't or know. I, don't, I, just saw, I just saw that they were puppies and that they were cute. I'm not very good about identifying different dog breeds, but um, I thought they were adorable. When the arrow went into the dog, how did they make it whine? Cause it... No, the arrow didn't go into the dog. It just went near the dog. Oh, okay. Right. Well, good good dog acting as well, because that dog really did look like it had been hurt. Yeah, no, no animals were harmed, is what they put on the credits. There's no animals harmed. <laughs> I know that, but it was a good, it was a good actor. Yeah, it was, the dog was a good actor. Because also, if you assume that Emma's actually hit the dog, then when Knightley's like, smiling like it's funny like try not to murder my dogs then he becomes a real dick if you've just yeah hit one of your yeah no but um i thought that bit was very cute and i really enjoy the inclusion of good dogs are we going on to the bonus rounds well let's give it its final score oh my gosh yes i forgot 79 percent that's a that's a high score Okay, I hope that I haven't made us peak too soon because this is our first. No, film. I don't think so. I don't think because I, I think this is a good one as well. I think it's a really good adaptation. So, and this is the first Austin thing ever that I have ever encountered as well at the time. So, so I'm glad that you gave it such a high score. Okay, so for the 
benefit of people for whom this is important, we will now talk about the sexiness of the leading lady, um, the likability of the leading man, the accuracy to the book, and the way it works with modern sensibilities. I feel like we've already talked a lot about the faithfulness to the book and how well it adapts the book to modern sensibilities in that we've already talked about yes a lot of, I, mean, I think both of the for both of these the Emma Knightley relationship is is a lot of the point of the contention because you just cannot keep it completely faithful to the book and also make it not squicky as hell to a modern audience yeah what would we put what scores would we put for those um faithfulness to the book I'm going to give it a seven Okay. And Modern Sensibilities, I'm going to give it another seven because uh, the relationship's a little squicky, especially in the fact that they they do make it very clear that Knightley did, you know, help raise her in a way. Yes, a bit much. But they, they do focus much more on the fact that they are old friends, realising they're in love with each other, um, and also because I, I think Emma's a very spirited heroine. Um, who is very much independent, very much in charge of her own life. And I think that's nice. Yes, I I, I am going to agree with both of oh, those. Oh, but then um, there is also the scene where um, Harriet is beset by travellers. Oh my God, that was terrible. Yeah. They were like, they were like cartoon villains. It was awful. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. I'm going to drop that down to a six because and that was why? really bad. Why would they just... I forgot about. I think I must have blocked that out of my head just due to disgust. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculously pointless scene as well because what exactly are they hoping to steal from Harriet? She carries nothing of value. And why would they all automatically see her and just go, "Oh, get her"? And then when Churchill arrives, they, they all, all scatter. instantly scatter as if just one man could take them down. It's just ridiculous. And one of them is wearing striped socks like a pirate. It's so offensive. It's incredibly offensive. Was that in the book? Uh, yeah. So in the in the adaptation, Emma is there as well. In the book, I think it's just Harriet's walking alone. But um, so you don't see it, but you hear about it. But but you do get the cartoon ruffians. Uh, yeah, absolutely. They're like cartoonified villains. Yes. So bad. It's uh, yeah. Let's mark it down for that. And that's that actually was would be one of the things that it did at the time sort of jolt me out of my enjoyment of the film, like with the outrage. But yeah, it it was it was very bad. Even though I knew it was coming, yeah, and I was primed for it. I was like, I mean, you, I know that you are putting it in because the the whole thing about Emma thinking that Harriet loves Frank Churchill because of how he rescued her doesn't make sense without something there. But you don't need to play up to it. But they don't need to be travellers. You don't have to have the literal caravan there. No. Like, they could just be general rogues. And you don't have to keep saying the slur either. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was very bad. Uh, but on, on more fun things, um, we can talk about how likeable Jeremy Northam's Knightley was and how sexy Gwyneth Paltrow's Emma was. So I don't think that Gwyneth Paltrow is very sexy in this film. She's beautiful, but I don't think she's very sexy. Again, my judgment of attractiveness of women is wildly skewed compared to conventional norms. But um, yeah, I I think she is definitely has that sort of ethereal, luminescent sort of beauty. But for for me, I didn't 
I didn't think she was very sexy. I just can't get past the fact it's Gwyneth Paltrow and she's a silly lady. That's the thing. I've, I'm seeing Gwyneth Paltrow and um, I can't think of her as anything else. And so when I'm looking at her, I'm not going to be thinking how much I want to have sex with her because all, the immediate thought in my mind is like, oh, your vagina smells like a candle. Um, yes. Um, or whichever way round that is. Um, which is a horribly objectifying thing to say. And also, yeah, she's she's a bit mean and she's a bit meddling and she does have her moments where she's really warm and kind, but also she she also doesn't. So that adds to it yeah, as well. Yeah, I'm going to say I think that Gwyneth Paltrow is beautiful but not sexy in this film, I will put her as a five. In terms of her hair as well, they did something really weird with her hair where they scraped it right back off her head as they probably would have done in the 90s, I remember it. Yeah, it was a very 90s way of doing Regency hair. It's a very harsh look and that would not have been realistic. I liked it, actually. I thought it was pretty. It was all right, but it's not realistic. And Jeremy Northam's likability. Uh, I mean, it's all right. I, um... He had dogs. I found him a little little reserved. Yeah, he was a little reserved. I think I'm going to put him down as a five. And I, I feel like when I'm talking about the male leads' rem- likability, I'm also talking about how relatable I find them in the way that when I'm talking about the female leads' likability, I'm also talking about how relatable I find them. Yes. And I didn't find Jeremy Northam's Mr. Knightley very relatable at all. Yeah. Have we done the score for Emma? I- yeah, I, I scored her a five. So you scored a five. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm such a copycat. I'm going to go with a five as well. Okay. How likeable did you find Mr. Knightley? Um, mm, I liked how he jumped in through the window. <laughs> it was very jaunty. And I really, I know that it's sort of, we've, we've talked about how he's always criticises Emma and always steers her. But I really, I found him very likeable in the scene where he admonished her for... Uh, being horrible to Miss Miss Bates because badly done, Emma. Nobody else at that party stood up for Miss Bates. No, you're quite and right. And you've got to have a a kind heart if you stand up for someone so vulnerable and so laughable. I thought what he did really nicely was um, he didn't just wait until Emma was alone to come and say, "Hey, that wasn't on." He made it clear to Miss Bates that he wanted her company, that he valued her. Yeah. So he was like, and "Miss then... Bates, will you please come and?" some strawberries with me which I thought was very nice even when he did acknowledge uh, admonish Emma he then said it it pains me to say this and uh, and uh, you're wonderful in other ways but you, you know and it does take a true friend to to sort of call you out on on your bad behavior some friends would just not be brave enough to and, and not want to risk the friendship and just let it slide but he took that leap even though I think that he, we find out later that that was also a selfish admonishing because he was he was hurt because he thought that he she was in love with Frank Churchill and that that was insulting Miss Bates was because of that. I think it still shows half of the appeal of Mr. Knightley for Emma is that he is willing to tell her when she is wrong. Yeah, and just defending someone who is in most people's eyes, quite contemptible. Would, yeah, I just, yeah. Actually, I'm going to give him a 6.5. Good for you. I'll tell you what else I think is good about Knightley as well, is that he really genuinely likes Robert Martin. Robert Martin? The farmer. Robert Martin. Yes, yes, he does. 
which I think is nice. Maybe I'll give him a 5.5. You talked me around. <laughs> I'm going to give him okay. a 6. Uh, no, I'm going to give him a 5.5. Oh, no. Stop changing all your answers, Sasha. I'm going to give him a 6. Okay, so that is Emma. My final note from when we watched it the first time is simply, Jess says it's a romp. And I think it is a romp. Yes, it is a romp. I think it's a lot of fun. And I have seen it at least five times now, and I'm sure that I'll see it again in the future. Do you think that you would watch it again? Yes, I could stand to watch it again. Very good. Definitely. And I I usually um, object to watching films again too close to each other. But um, it seems like the kind of film where you would notice more and more little touches. Oh, yeah, you absolutely do. I certainly have been noticing more and more little touches every time I watch it. And next time I watch it, I'm going to be looking out for what Mrs. Bates does, definitely, all the way through. In which case, I look forward to seeing it again. Yeah, so that's... That's it. That's Emma, 1996, starring Gwyneth Paltrow and Jeremy Northam. Um, uh, We recommend that film, 79%. Yes. Great. Um, So I don't think we've decided which one we're going to be watching next. Shall we pick one before we depart? Ooh. Yeah, go on then. Um, So I know that the new Emma film is out very, very soon. And I know that we have plans to go and watch that together very very soon but i feel like i don't know if i want to necessarily go straight on to doing another emma yeah it might get a bit monotonous it might get a bit much um so i think we should pick another jane austen story let's do pride and prejudice there are so okay many adaptations of pride and prejudice as well let me oh all right let me just get my big list up we could do the 2005 pride and prejudice with kira knightley oh yes okay should we do that one yeah Okay, Pride and Prejudice 2005, Kira Knightley. Okay, so next time right. we'll be watching the 2005 Pride and Prejudice starring Kira Knightley. And um, I look forward to seeing how you think, what you think of that one. Yes, me too. Right. Uh, bye. Do you say bye on podcasts? Oh, bye. wait, no. I'll tell you what we should do. We should tell people where they can find us. Oh, yes. So I'm on Twitter at Jessica the Law. And that's probably the main place where you can find um, my very varied, um, strange pastimes. Cool. I'm also on Twitter, at Sienna Sasha. Um, and that's also probably the best place where you can find all of my stuff. It all does tend to get funneled very much through Twitter. So that's, that's where I will also plug myself. Okay, uh, thanks so much for listening. And thank you so much, Jess, for joining me and making watching Emma for the fourth and fifth or the fifth and sixth times even more fun. Oh, it's been a wild ride. I just get to rant about things that nobody else finds interesting. Like I find them interesting. I find them very interesting. Thank you. I try to rant at my colleagues about... You know, Regency costumes, they're like, Jess, what, you're meant to be writing an article about a bird. What, <laughs> what's happening? Are you okay? Um, so this is very liberating. Could you do some sort of like clickbaity article where it's like Jane Austen heroines as birds? That's amazing. Okay, I might have to do that now. Yeah, I actually really want to read that now. So please do and send it to me. Okay, I'll do that. And if I get the sack, at least it will have been for a good reason. Um, yeah well thanks very much for listening and uh, Jess see you soon see you soon bye 
done it then we will be recording um and then if we do like three two one okay. and then clap then we can clap and then if we both just count like 20 seconds in our heads and then clap again the second clap doesn't need to be exactly aligned because we'll be able to line it up okay. with the first clap so we're clapping after after one not on one yeah one two three yeah. clap yeah um rather than one two clap yeah, one, two, three, Okay, clap. shall we do it? Okay, shall we yep. do our clap? One, okay. two, one, two, two, wait, stop, three. stop. Wait, okay. what? I thought we wait, were doing stop. it faster. <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, hang on. I'm actually just going to turn my mic down a little bit because um, my spikes are okay. a bit too high and I'm worried I'm not going to hear the clap. Okay. One. One. Two. Can we do it faster? Two. Shall we just, shall we just one of us do a count? Okay. One, okay. You do it. One, yeah. two, three, clap. Oh, okay. Well, they were, did we I miss think it? we did them slightly at a different time, but they. Okay. We, okay. Let's try again. One, two, three, clap. Oh, I'm clapping at the same time as saying clap, and then you're clapping afterwards. Can we do it a bit faster? So it's like okay. one, two, three, clap. Okay. And we we clap at the same time as saying clap. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't okay. thinking we would say clap. I thought that when we were like one, two, three, clap, that was like We'd one, two, three, and then brackets, uh, stage direction okay, okay. clap. Oh, okay. I thought you had to say it at the same time. Okay. Okay. One, two, three. Should be all right. There's like a half a second. Yeah. I think that but... should be fine, but we need to do it and then we need to stay silent for like 20 seconds because for when I'm editing the audio, that'll be the 20 seconds where I'm like, this is the background noise in the room so I need to get rid of. Ah, for noise yeah, removal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that now. Okay. One, oh, one, two, three.